Section four of Little Journeys to the Homes of the Great, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Little Journeys to the Homes of the Great, Volume One, by Albert Hubbard. George Eliot, Part One. May I reach that purest heaven be to other souls the cup of strength in some great agony Enkindle generous ardor feed pure love Beget the smiles that have no cruelty be the good presence of a good diffused and in diffusion ever more intense So shall I join the choir invisible whose music is the gladness of the world Warwickshire gave to the world William Shakespeare it also gave Mary Ann Evans No one will question that Shakespeare's is the greatest name in English literature and among writers living or dead in England or out of it No woman has ever shown us power equal to that of George Eliot in the subtle clairvoyance Which divines the inmost play of passions the experience that shows human capacity for contradiction and the indulgence that is merciful because it understands Shakespeare lived 300 years ago according to the records his father in 1563 owned a certain house in Henley Street Stratford-on-Avon Hence we infer that William Shakespeare was born there and in all our knowledge of Shakespeare's early life or later We prefix the words hence we infer That the man knew all the sciences of his day and had such a knowledge of each of the learned professions that all have claimed him as their own we realize He evidently was acquainted with five different languages and the range of his intellect was worldwide But where did he get this vast erudition? We do not know and we excuse ourselves by saying that he lived 300 years ago George Eliot lived yesterday and we know no more about her youthful days than we do of that other child of Warwickshire one biographer tells us that she was born in 1819 another in 1820 and neither state the day whereas a recent writer in the Pall Mall budget graciously bestows on us the useful information that William Shakespeare was born on the 21st day of April 1563 at 15 minutes of two on a stormy morning Concise statements of facts are always valuable, but we have none such concerning the early life of George Eliot There is even a shadow over her parentage for no less an authority than the American Cyclopedia annual for 1880 boldly proclaims that she was not a foundling and moreover that she was not adopted by a rich retired clergyman who gave her a splendid schooling then the writer dives into obscurity but presently reappears and adds that he does not know where she got her education for all of which we are very grateful shakespeare left five signatures each written in a different way and now there is a goodly crew who spell it bacon and likewise we do not know whether it is mary ann evans without an e mary ann evans with an e or Marion Evans for she herself is said to have used each form at various times William winter gentle critic poet scholar Tells us that the sonnets show a dark spot in Shakespeare's moral record 
and if I remember rightly similar things have been hinted at in sewing circles concerning George Eliot Then they each found the dew and sunshine in London that caused the flowers of genius to blossom The early productions of both were published anonymously and lastly because they both knew how to transmute thought into gold for they died rich Lady Godiva rode through the streets of Coventry, but I walked walked all the way from Stratford by way of Warwick Call it Warwick, please and Kenilworth Castle I stopped overnight at that quaint and curious little inn just across from the castle entrance The good landlady gave me the same apartment that was occupied by Sir Walter Scott when he came here and wrote the first chapter of Kenilworth the little room had pretty white chintz curtains tied with blue ribbon and similar stuff draped the mirror The bed was a big canopy affair I had to stand on a chair in order to dive off into its feathery depths Everything was very neat and clean and the dainty linen had a sweet smell of lavender I Took one parting look out through the open window at the ivy mantled towers of the old castle Which were all sprinkled with silver by the rising moon and then I fell into gentlest sleep. I dreamed of playing I Spy through Kenilworth Castle with Shakespeare, Walter Scott, Mary Ann Evans, and a youth I used to know in boyhood by the name of Bill Hersey. We chased each other across the drawbridge, through the portcullis, down the slippery stones into the dungeon keep, around the moat, and up the stone steps to the topmost turret of the towers. Finally, Shakespeare was it. But he got mad and refused to play Walter Scott said it was no fair and Bill Hersey thrust out the knuckle of one middle finger in a very threatening way and often to do the boy from Stratford Then Mary Ann rushed in to still the tempest There's no telling what would have happened had not the landlady just then rapped at my door and asked if I had called I awoke with a start and with a guilty feeling that I had been shouting in my sleep I saw it was morning no that is yes my shaving water please after breakfast the landlady's boy offered for five shillings to take me in his donkey cart to the birthplace of George Eliot he explained that the house was just seven miles north but Balaam's Express is always slow so I concluded to walk at Coventry a cab owner proposed to show me the house which he declared was near Kenilworth for twelve shillings the advantages of seeing Kenilworth at the same time were dwelt upon at great length by cabby But I hearkened not to the voice of the siren I got a good lunch at the hotel and asked the innkeeper if he could tell me where George Eliot was born He did not know but said he could show me a house around the corner where a family of Eliot's lived Then I walked on to Nuneaton a charming walk it was past quaint old houses some with straw thatched roofs Others tile roses clambering over the doors and flowering hedgerows white with hawthorn flowers Occasionally I met a farmer's cart drawn by one of those great fat gentle shire horses that George Eliot has described so well All spoke of peace and plenty quiet and rest The green fields and the flowers the lark song and the sunshine the dipping willows by the stream and the arch of the old stone bridge as I approached the village all these I had seen and known and felt before from mill on the floss I Found the house where they say the novelist was born 
a plain whitewashed stone structure built 200 years ago two stories the upper chambers low with gable windows a little garden at the side bright with flowers where sweet marjoram vied with onions and beets all spoke of humble thrift and homely cares in front was a great chestnut tree and in the roadway near were two ancient elms where saucy crows were building a nest here after her mother died mary ann evans was housekeeper little more than a child tall timid and far from strong she cooked and scrubbed and washed and was herself the mother to brothers and sisters her father was a carpenter by trade and agent for a rich landowner he was a stern man orderly earnest industrious studious on rides about the country he would take the tall hollow-eyed girl with him and at such times he would talk to her of the great outside world where wondrous things were done the child toiled hard but found time to read and question and there is always time to think soon she had outgrown some of her good father's beliefs and this grieved him greatly so much indeed that her extra loving attention to his needs in a hope to neutralize his displeasure only irritated him the more and if there is soft subdued sadness in much of george eliot's writing we can guess the reason the onward and upward march ever means sad separation when marianne was blossoming into womanhood her father moved over near coventry and here the ambitious girl first found companionship in her intellectual desires here she met men and women older than herself who were animated earnest thinkers they read and then they discussed and then they spoke the things that they felt were true those eight years at coventry transformed the awkward country girl into a woman of intellect and purpose she knew somewhat of all sciences all philosophies and she had become a proficient scholar in german and french how did she acquire this knowledge how is any education acquired if not through effort prompted by desire she had already translated strauss's life of jesus in a manner that was acceptable to the author when ralph waldo emerson came to coventry to lecture he was entertained at the same house where miss evans was stopping her brilliant conversation pleased him and when she questioned the wisdom of a certain passage in one of his essays the gentle philosopher turned smiled and said that he had not seen it in that light before perhaps she was right what is your favorite book asked emerson rousseau's confessions answered mary instantly it was emerson's favorite too but such honesty from a young woman it was queer mr emerson never forgot miss evans of coventry and ten years after when a zealous reviewer proclaimed her the greatest novelist in england the sage of concord said something that sounded like i told you so end of section four